You're listening to a Westpac Wire podcast. Westpacwire.com.au. The shock this time is a lot sharper, very, very quick, because governments have had to actually voluntarily close down the economy. Well, we've never seen that before. In a normal recession, what happens is that usually there's a policy mistake. So in that early 90s recession, the Reserve Bank pushed interest rates up to 18%. And that was way, way too high. And the unemployment rate got up to uh, 11%. So we're expecting it to reach 9% this time. But as I say, without the government stimulus, it would have got to um, 17%. That just goes to show you what this crunch at the moment is like. The difference is that this time, we think we can sort of see a way out of this. Well, there's clearly some pretty scary economic numbers being thrown around at the moment. The IMF says the Australian economy will contract 6.7% this year. Treasury says unemployment will reach 10%. And many other economists and academics have been publishing similar forecasts. So what are we actually in for? It's a question many people are asking, particularly younger generations who weren't even alive or in the workforce during the last recession in the early 90s. I'm Michael Bennett, the editor of Westpac Wire, and in today's podcast, I'm joined by Westpac's Chief Economist, Bill Evans. Thanks for joining us, Bill. Hey, Michael. Pleased to be here. So, Bill, you give Westpac Wire an update on the economy each month, and the timing this time around is actually quite fortuitous because this week we've just heard from the RBA Governor, Philip Lowe, on the bank's latest thinking about the COVID-19 crisis. So, firstly... Let's have a listen to a bit of what he had to say. So the result of both the restrictions and this uncertainty is that over the first half of 2020, we are likely to experience the biggest contraction in national output and national income that we've witnessed since the 1930s. Total hours work in Australia are likely to decline by around 20% over the first half of the year, which is a staggeringly large number. The unemployment rate is likely to be around 10% by June, although I'm hopeful that it might be lower than this if businesses are able to retain their employees on lower hours. The unemployment rate would have certainly been much higher than this without the government's JobKeeper program. So, Bill, what did you make of these new forecasts and the speech overall? Uh, Michael, look, I was um, quite encouraged by the speech because we released our forecasts nearly uh, more than three weeks ago now. And the key forecast was that the economy would contract by 5% this year and it would contract by nearly 10% in the first half of the year and then have a bounce back in the second half of around 5%. Uh, The RBA produced some forecasts today that uh, concurred with the 10% uh, contraction in the first half, with most of that happening in the June quarter. We expect 8.5% contraction in the June quarter. Uh, They also indicated they thought growth over the year would be a minus six. So that's pretty close to our number of minus five, and bear in mind that we've been out there with those numbers for uh, three weeks or more. The other parts of the forecast that I I was encouraged by was that they expect the unemployment rate to reach 10% by the end of June, and we're expecting 9%. They also pointed out that without the JobKeeper's payment package, the unemployment rate would have been a lot higher. They didn't put a number on it, but we did. Let's have a listen to what 
the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, had to say about the JobKeeper package a couple of weeks ago. Today, we are introducing a $1,500 per fortnight JobKeeper payment to keep Australians in their jobs, even when the work may dry up. We thought 17% would have been the, the unemployment rate if we hadn't have seen the JobKeeper's package. The other key points that they made were around next year, and that's where we differ somewhat with them. We expect that growth next year will be around 4%, so that's a lot better than minus five, but they're expecting six to 7%. Um, and I have to say that my view is that I think a lot of the shadows of the health crisis and the uh, shutdown effect on the economy and the way people are gonna change the way they uh, do business and the way they work and the ongoing restrictions on, um, on in inward migration uh, are going to put, uh, make it very hard for the economy to pull back at that sort of six to 7% pace. Even though they've got that sort of a growth rate, they don't expect the unemployment rate to come down below 6%. And we're certainly in agreement with that. We expect it'll fall to 7% by the end of the year, but hold in that six to 7% range in 2021. And that's very disappointing because, as you know, the unemployment rate was down around 5% 5, 5 at the beginning of 2020. Uh, we're going to have a recovery, and yet we'll still be stuck with this much higher unemployment rate that I expect to hold for some years to come. Yeah, I think that the RBA's view on full employment is four and a half, isn't it? So, you know, it's going to take a while to get anywhere near that. So I imagine we're in this sort of world of very low rates and um, stimulus for quite some time. Yeah, that's right. He did say that he expected that um, the, these low interest rates would remain for that word you used, Michael, some time, some years, I think, in fact, he used. Uh, and that's very much in line with our thinking. Uh, there's two parts to the interest rate, interest rate stance now. Firstly, they have a cash rate target of 0.25%. Uh, which is considered to be the lower bound. They won't take it any lower than that. They've studied what happened with negative interest rates in Europe and Japan, and I think quite rightly have concluded that they're more damaging. They do more harm than they do good. So this will be the low point for the Reserve Bank cash rate. But to emphasise to everybody that they're committed to holding that down at that 0.25, they've also got this new target, which is 0.25, to the three-year bond rate. So effectively what they're saying is that they believe that the bond rate, which is the risk-free rate as well, is gonna, uh, at three, for, for three years, at 0.25%, implying in that way that they expect the cash rate will hold at 0.25 for those three years. They've also indicated they won't lift that 0.25 bond target before they raise the cash rate. Now, Michael, one thing to remember is that we talk a lot about the global financial crisis and we compare this, these developments with that crisis. And yet in the global financial crisis, the last rate cut was in April 2009. And by October 2009, they were actually raising rates. They were so nervous about the low rate, and that time it was 3% that they called emergency lows they were so anxious to get away from that 3% that within six months, they were raising rates. This time, it's going to be very different. 
Yeah, it's quite amazing what what the cash rate has done over that time. But as you say, the other historic thing they're doing is buying bonds to keep that three-year rate at 0.25. And, but I, the one thing I did notice in the speech was he did sort of push back on any perception that the government was that the Reserve Bank, sorry, was um, directly financing government spending. It, it seemed like he really wanted to make it clear they were not basically buying. Um, the bond straight from the government or giving the government money and, and financing it. They, they were very much doing it in the secondary market. And it, it sort of goes to this question that's being raised at the moment is how much of a worry is this blowout in government debt that we're going to see? And, and should people be concerned about how we actually pay it back one day? Yeah, look, there's a few points there. I think he made a very good point, which is a correct point for Australia, when he said that one of the things that's helping Australia is the strength of the balance sheets of the government. And the government's debt is very low. It's, it's only about 19% of GDP. Now, after they issue the bonds that are going to be required to pay for all the stimulus packages, which total about $200 billion, plus the downturn in the economy, which increases budget deficits, we estimated three weeks ago that that would be around $310 billion in total. Uh, and that compares with a bond supply at the moment of only about $560 billion. So you're almost doubling the bond supply in the, in the space of a couple of years, and that's extraordinary. So that's going to represent a challenge. But the good thing is that the balance sheet is, is coming from a very low level of gearing, only 19%. That's, that's pretty much the lowest in the world. It'll take it to 35%, which puts us in the pack. But all other countries will be increasing their debt levels as well uh, as they deal with the problems of the, of the virus. So we'll still be pretty well positioned compared to other countries on the government's balance sheet. You then look at the bank's balance sheet, the private sector banks, including Westpac, of course, and the level of capital that we build up is very, very strong. So we have a very strong balance sheet for the, for the banks, and even the Reserve Bank, which has, very, which has a very small balance sheet, that means it hasn't had to buy bonds in the past, is also in a good position to buy bonds to support that market. And compare that with the US Federal Reserve, uh, which before the global financial crisis had around a trillion dollars of assets on its balance sheet. That went up to over four trillion. They managed to bring that down a bit to three and three quarter trillion. They've already announced policies that's going to get that up around the seven and a half trillion. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're heading towards 10 trillion. So the Reserve Bank has plenty of scope to buy government bonds, but as you say, they'll only do it in the secondary market. So the government has to go to the market. But of course, as you know, if the market knows the Reserve Bank's going to be buying, it makes it a lot easier to sell those bonds. Yeah, for sure. As I think he pointed out today, and I think a lot of people are talking about this, that basically in this quarter, this current quarter we've just gone into is going to be when the real big crunch occurs in, in Q2. And I think he even mentioned that it could be the worst numbers since the 1930s or the Great Depression time. I'm interested in your views on, on what that actually looks like and means for people, because I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you actually became... Chief Economist at Westpac in 91, around that time when the last recession occurred. So 
did, does anything, do you have any sort of vivid memories of, of what it's like during the, a period like that? Yeah, look, um, the shock this time is a lot sharper, very, very quick, uh, because governments have had to take action that we've never seen before. They've had to actually voluntarily close down the economy. Well, we've never seen that before, I guess, in wartime, potentially. But this, of course, is a war against a virus. In a normal recession, what happens is that you get, usually there's a policy mistake. So in that early 90s recession, the Reserve Bank pushed interest rates up to 18%. And that was way, way too high. And what that did was that created a huge crunch in the property market, particularly commercial property. The unemployment rate took off. And the unemployment rate got up to uh, 11%. So we're expecting it to reach 9% this time. But as I say, without the government stimulus, it would have got to um, 17%. That just goes to show you what this crunch at the moment is like. The difference is that this time, we think we can sort of see a way out of this, um, particularly in Australia, where we're starting to see really encouraging signs around the spreading of the virus and the success that we're having in containing that. But even in countries like the US and Italy, it appears that the peak in the virus has been reached. So we can sort of see the way out, whereas when you're in a deep recession, you just do not know how you're going to get out of this. And usually it takes, well, certainly it takes a lot longer than the sort of six months that we're looking at to see growth turning around. So that's the the pain of this one because it's so short and sharp because it's coming from particular government policies to close down the economy. But the advantage is that we know that those policies can be reversed. Governments want to reverse them. And we think we can start to see the signals that are suggesting around the timing of those reversals. And, and just on the overall strategy, have you been quite supportive? Because it seems amongst economists there's a little divergence in views, whereas there is obviously a trade-off where the harder you lock down, the more lives you save, but the harder you crunch the economy. But what's been your take on Australia's overall approach? Oh, look, Michael, the thing that worried me the most a month or so ago was this concept of having to choose who lives and who dies. So you, if we'd reached a point where we didn't have enough intensive care beds uh, than, than were needed, uh, that's just the most horrible situation that an economy can reach. And we've seen that happening in Italy in particular and some other countries. So anything that avoided that, I think, was worth the commitment. Uh, we are now look as if we have avoided that, although some people are looking at Singapore and Japan and saying there could be a second wave if you ease up too soon. But for me, that humanitarian issue was the most important. And of course, at the time, I was quite critical of the government's first few sets of policies to support the economy. Uh, pretty small increase in, in, in cash handouts, only going to, to uh, pensioners and the unemployed initially. Uh, but the JobKeeper package that was $130 billion compared to the $60 billion that the others cost in total, I think is going to make a difference. It's going to allow businesses to remain uh, in contact with their workers. And they've priced it for 6 million workers out of a total workforce of 12 million. So it's an incredibly generous package. When you think about the number of um, industries that will be 
broadly unaffected, such as government, mining, uh, other industries that will actually do better, such as obviously parts of the medical industry, uh, sectors of transport, sectors of telecommunications, um, you soon work out that the six million will be a pretty generous package. So the government has done the right thing, but as I said, it's going to take a long while uh, to, to pay that debt off. Yeah, and as you say, there, there have been some pretty promising signs in the last week around infection rates and the like. Have you been surprised at how markets have sort of taken it and seem to go right back into bull mode? If you look at the stock market in particular, it's come you know, around 20% off the March lows. Um, is that sort of surprise you or is it just a continuation of this market being a bit more divorced from the real economy these days? I think there's been two things. I think there has been evidence that in some countries uh, they're getting on top of the virus problem. But if you, 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 can, you can trace it back to the 20th of March when markets turned and that was really around the time when central banks really, really started to support economies, uh, in particular the Federal Reserve, and we know that most market movements emanate from the US. That was when the Federal Reserve said that we'll do whatever it takes. So they slashed interest rates to near zero. They, bought, they put two and a half trillion uh, into the economy over the space of a few weeks. They're now at the point where they're buying corporate bonds, syndicated loans, They've got a $600 billion program for small business loans, $500 billion for local government. So what we're seeing is that um, the central banks have just said, we have to take over now. We'll do whatever is required. And markets, of course, have taken enormous uh, encouragement from that and have, bottom and have uh, started to recover. Now, it's my view. It's not, a, it's not the popular view, but it's my view that as we start to move into the next few months and the economic data starts to become quite terrifying, um, I think there's another downturn coming in the markets because this stimulus will start to uh, turn out to be in the rear vision mirror, but a lot of this uh, economic data will be there for people to look at. So I think markets will turn down again, but I certainly don't expect markets to get back to those lows that we saw on the 20th and 21st of March. Yeah, right. I guess the one market we haven't seen pricing action occurring yet is the property market. But I think last week, the Westpac Consumer Sentiment Survey had some, I guess, forward-looking insights. What, what did you make of that? Hey, that was eye-popping stuff, uh, Michael. Um, I was expecting to see a big fall in confidence, not quite as big as we saw, which was the biggest fall in the 47-year history of the survey, 17.7% in one month, overall confidence. What I wasn't expecting to see was a 26.6% fall in um, uh, the question is now a good time to buy a dwelling. So confidence in the housing market as measured by that question, and I follow that question very closely. Um, it's had quite an interesting uh, relationship with prices. Um, and so that shocked me. We also have a question that's been around since 2009 when, we, when people are asked um, what's what's the outlook for house prices over the next 12 months? And that index fell by 50%. So suddenly we had a very strong majority of people saying rises to a strong majority of people saying falls. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that over the course of the next 
uh, nine months that the property market, the house, the residential property market is going to have some problems. And we're expecting a 10% fall in prices between now and the end of the year. Not a catastrophic story because, as you know, Sydney and Melbourne in particular are up about 12, were up about 12% from the lows in May last year. Um, uh, but, and that's because I think turnover will be the big faller. I don't think you'll get too many uh, keen sellers and you won't get too many keen buyers either. So I think the market will turn down, but not catastrophically. And sort of if we look out, uh, it seems the government and the Prime Minister are now starting to talk about what we need to do to ensure the economy is, I guess, set up right to let growth come back and get out of this hole that we seem to hopefully only temporarily be in. I know the governor's been asked about this, what sort of reforms he would look at. So let's have a listen to what the RBA governor had to say about this. How do we make Australia a great place to invest, expand, innovate and hire people? Well, I think we start off by reading the multitude of uh, reports that have already been commissioned on this issue and uh, perhaps I could run through you at a very, for you at a very high level what those uh, reports uh, say. They say we should be looking again at the way we tax income generation, consumption and land in this country. They say we should be looking at how we build and price infrastructure. They say we should be looking at how we train our students and our workforce so they've got the skills uh, for, for the modern economy. They say we should be looking how, at how various regulations promote or perhaps hinder innovation. And they say we should be looking at the flexibility and complexity of our industrial relations system. It's a difficult question, but are, are there any that jump out to you that Australia should um, really look at embracing going forward? Well, clearly what we would like to see would be to find a way that doesn't adversely affect growth, but helps us deal with this huge debt that's coming down the pipeline. And that, of course, gets back to the old story of rebalancing the tax system away from direct taxes, more towards indirect taxes. So a higher GST and a lower tax rate. We've been down that route many times. It does, just doesn't appear that governments have got the appetite for that sort of change. So I know there's a degree of optimism that governments might be open to bigger change, uh, given the challenges that we're facing. Uh, but I'm not optimistic about that happening. Mm, well, that's... that's uh... That's not ideal then. Um, hopefully, hopefully that changes going forward, and maybe it will. When I guess some of the data that you say in the next few months is going to look pretty terrifying, and, and I don't know, maybe that um, sort of shocks the country into embracing some some change that sets it up for the future. You know, one of the biggest problems that we're facing is if we think about the scenario that we've used, that is pretty close to the Reserve Bank scenario, and that is that the, sh the, lock the shutdowns gr are gradually eased in the September quarter, and by the end of the December quarter, the internal shutdowns are pretty much freed up. But the one that won't be freed up will be foreign travel, uh, because which government is going to allow foreigners to come into the country from countries that have clearly experienced the virus problems and intermingle with the Australian population, given the pain we've, we've, we've taken in getting to where we will be by December. So, and that's an incredibly important thing for the Australian economy, foreign students and inbound tourism. 
that's going to remain a big problem for our for economy next year because that's Australia and New South Wales and Victoria in particular have become very reliant upon those two sources of growth. Yeah, it's hard to think national travel bouncing back anytime soon, isn't it? But just before we let you go, is there any data point in that you'll be watching particularly closely in the next few weeks and months ahead? Oh, no, it'll be all about the virus. It'll be all about the flattening of the curve. It'll be all about evidence that governments are starting to feel comfortable that they can release the uh, shutdowns. What the data that you're looking for is the data that gives you comfort that the thing that's slowing the economy, the shutdowns, will come to an end. So it'll be all about the medical rather than anything that we're seeing in the official data. Yeah, of course. Okay, great. Thanks a lot for your time, Bill, today. It was um, a fascinating chat as always. Oh, thanks a lot, Michael. That's all from us today at Westpac Wire. For more, head to westpacwire.com.au.